This morning we're going to dive into the the idol of, as we talk about this series, Nothing Held Back, the idol of wealth and success. And so when you hear those two terms, we naturally will immediately gravitate towards, okay, Alan's about to preach about money. So yes, Jeff left me the topic of money uh, to preach about with you, but he gave me a lot of freedom with which, which direction uh, to take the service this morning. And so instead of talking about giving or stewardship or, or one of those specific topics tied to what scripture says about money and maybe how we spend it or how we accumulate it or hold on to it, hoard it, esteem it, value it, whatever, we're going to talk about the bigger picture of wealth particularly as it relates to this, this idea that to be successful, you have to be monetarily wealthy. And what does it even mean to be wealthy? And we're going to kind of explore that from a worldly perspective for a minute before we get into Scripture. And, and I just want to say uh, up front, you know, the, 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 the beginning of this year, uh, we introduced to you the theme, the idea, the challenge of being all in and making the greatest commitment in your walk with Christ that, that hopefully you and prayerfully you've ever made. No matter where you are in Christ, to make the greatest commitment, to move beyond where you were at the beginning of this year to something deeper. And Jeff preached a series of messages, one about getting in God's Word, and some of you are going through the all-in uh, reading plan where we're reading through Scripture all throughout this year, and we'll read the whole Bible by the end of the year if you follow this reading plan and finish all those readings. And then talked about praying for the lost, and many of you are doing that. And some of you are even responding on the prayer cards and providing us names of people to pray for uh, who are lost. And you're, you're inviting us as a staff and a church family to join in with you in that. And then we talked about going and serving in missions. And some of you have signed up to do that and gone and served at Mission Conroe or volunteered in anticipation of what's going to come in local ministry as we finished last year the missional pathway and have uh, something to share with you on Sunday, June 30th about an endeavor that we as a church family are going to pour our, our heart and our, our soul into locally to try to reach people uh, right in our own backyard. And so you'll hear more about that at the end of June. And some of you are excited about that and want to serve. And some have signed up to go on, on a, a mission trip to New Orleans or Vancouver or somewhere overseas as part of our, our work that we're doing uh, with different mission partners. And that excites us as well. But, but the thing that we've seen a very tangible response in, in the last message of that series, Jeff shared about stewardship. And making the greatest commitment to stewardship that you've ever made. And that's a a way, there's a way for us to see that there's been a tangible response to that. Because we can compare uh, how you've responded this year to years past in the same time of year. And we can compare, um, (coughs) excuse me, how things have have come in uh, to for the mission and to our budget giving. And I just want to brag on you. Uh, As a church family, you have responded to that. And we have seen an increased commitment in that area. And that, that helps make things a lot less stressful on the back end when we're thinking about these things that God has put in front of in front of us to do and how we're going to provide for that and how we're going to fund ministry and how we're going to help local missionaries and how we're going to support different people. Uh, just this past Wednesday night, our missions committee was able to approve some support uh, for a college student in our church who's going on two mission trips with an organization out of the Dallas area this summer. Little things like that that happen because you are generous. And so I would honestly, really, I say this, I would be preaching to the choir if I talked about giving and stewardship today and how that ties into how we view wealth and success. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at more philosophically. How are you and I supposed to think about biblically in light of the gospel? How are we supposed to think about success and wealth? And how can we 
as a local church in, in Montgomery County, how can you and I as individual believers differentiate ourselves from those in the world who don't know Christ? How can we live a life that's set apart and view things in a different way so that others might want that and desire that for their lives? As I think back to uh, the founding of our country, 243, we'll celebrate that on July 4th, 243 years ago, there was this, this idea, this concept that emerged from the founding documents of our country. The idea is, we know it as the American dream. The, the right, the freedom that people living in this country have to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. And early on, happiness was, was, was a, a, a really great concept in the start of our country. But very quickly, greed, which there's plenty in the Bible on greed and how damaging that can be as a sin and how destructive that can be to you and those around you, greed became kind of a driver for a different kind of wealth and success. See, greed drove people not just to be content with what they had, but to really seek greater wealth and greater success. And those two terms, wealth and success, became synonymous with one another. You were successful if you had more money, and you were more successful if you had more money. It's just this perpetual cycle. You needed more money to be successful, and that was how people in society were viewed. In the 1920s, something happened when greed kind of reached its peak. Our country's stock market crashed. We cycled into a Great Depression. There were some things that happened in nature, uh, lack of rain, the Dust Bowl, all that. There were some extenuating circumstances that brought all that together, but greed was at the core of that. And that, that caused some destruction for some people's lives and for our country. And so as we recovered from that, um, as we recovered from that, things began to happen in our society. As we recovered from that Great Depression, that fall, we rebounded from that, there kind of became this pull up the bootstraps and get to work. And then our country was involved in wars on two different fronts. And so there was a lot of work at home to be ready for those and to provide the supplies and the things that our military needed in our economy, <coughs> excuse me, our economy started to boom because of that. And things got good again, so they seemed, and people began in that pattern again, wealth equals success, success equals wealth, and they began to feed off each other. And in, in 1979, Milton Bradley created a game called the American Dream. Has anybody played the American Dream before? My parents were over there raising their hands because I texted them a few weeks ago knowing about this sermon. And I said, hey, do you all still have that game? I'd love to be able to like hold it up and show it to you all. And they said they think that they sold it in a garage sale for 50 cents. You can buy it on eBay for $29.50. I went and looked it up last week. You can buy that game on eBay right now. But the goal of the game, through, through going around the board and buying stock and selling stock and receiving dividends and doing all these things with real companies, Coca-Cola, RCA, there, were, there was an airline on there. There were several different other companies on there. Some of these companies don't exist today. Some exist by different names. But by going around the board, the goal was to accumulate a million dollars. And that was kind of in that era, in that time that that game was released, and even since then up until more recently, that was kind of the, the marker of the American dream. If, if you had wealth of $1 million, you had achieved the American dream. Now, just this week, I think it was Tuesday morning, I was driving to work, and the radio station I was listening to, their DJs, their morning show hosts, were talking about how that shifted now. And they said, you know, it used to be a million, now it's 2.3 million. So after the early service, I was talking to a few people, and they said, no, we're, we're just never going to get there. We just, I guess we can't be wealthy uh, by the world's standards. 
And so if, if this idea of, of wealth and success, if there's a moving target for that, you know, in order for us to be successful 30, 40 years ago, it was a million dollars. Now they're saying on the radio, it's $2.3 million. Where's it going to be in five years or 10 years? If that's a moving target, then there ought to be something different that you and I as Christians and you and I as the church can, can, can anchor our lives on that, that is not a moving target. That we can find true wealth and true success in something that doesn't move and doesn't change. It isn't affected by market crashes or exchange rates or isn't affected by fluctuations, some things that are outside of our control. And so this idea of wealth that equates to success for some Americans, maybe for many, and maybe for others around the world, it has become not just a thing that's a part of their lives, but it has become the thing. That is a part of their lives. And you can look at, at, at news stories from the economic world and you can look at trends and you can look at things that are happening in business and see where people cut corners, where people skimp here and there to try to, try to increase that profit and try to increase those earnings and get all the way to the very top of the industry or to the top of the class or to the top of the society that they're a part of because they've equated wealth with success. And some of, these, some of these people, some of us possibly, are, are trading the gospel reality that we're going to look at in just a few minutes from Scripture. We're trading the gospel reality for the American dream. And so I would argue and I would say to you today that if you and I truly want to experience freedom, if you and I truly want to experience what it's like to walk with Christ, then today we must trade the pursuit of the American dream and enjoy the good life found in gospel reality. And there are several terms in there that you see kind of equate to each other. The American dream, dream, possibly attainable, possibly not, and the gospel reality, something that's, that's true and unchanging. And that's the same for every person sitting in this room. And it's the same for every person that was sitting here at 8.30. And it's the same for, for every person that hasn't experienced who Jesus is yet. It's the same for every person who has experienced him, that you and I can anchor our lives on something that's not moving. And God's Word, we're going to look at two passages in the New Testament where God's Word, Jesus is speaking in one of them, Paul is writing in the other to the Philippians about what it means and what it looks like to live in the gospel reality. And if we choose to live that life, we can experience the good life. We can experience the joy that God has in store for us, and there's no amount of money, no amount of wealth, no amount of success that could ever purchase the kind of joy that we're going to talk about today. And so I know that we can find scriptures all throughout God's Word that teach us about greed, about debt, about money, about giving, about stewardship. Um, but today we're going to focus on two that talk, us, talk to us about how to view, how to have a proper view of success and of wealth. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to turn to Mark chapter 8, we're going to start there. little discussion that Jesus was having with his disciples and some of his other followers, the crowd that was gathered there that day. Uh, starting in Mark chapter 8, we're going to read through verse 38 together and then answer, uh, or I'll introduce and maybe you'll have to answer internally four questions tied to this passage. Starting in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. 
For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Verse 37, for what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. So as we think about this, having this proper view, how do we live a good life, the good life that God has called us to in light of gospel reality, in light of the truth of what Jesus just shared? The first thing we have to do is answer four questions. And they're going to take us through kind of a pattern. First is, what are your present motives? What motivates you today to get up out of bed, to step out into the world, to go to work, to go to school, to enjoy time with friends, with family? Just what's your motivation on a daily basis? Now, now for some of us, because we're at different stages of life, like right now, you know, the school year is coming to a close. We've got a seven-year-old and a five-year-old. Five-year-old finishes school at the end of this week. Got a wedding to go to this weekend in Dallas area. Come back home. The seven-year-old finishes school next week. We're in survival mode. It's like, you know, the end of the turkey packets and the bread and all that for the lunches, the lunch boxes. We're like, how much money's left in the hot lunch account? Okay, you're eating hot lunch three days because that's how much money's left. The rest of the time, we'll pack lunch. We are in survival mode. That's our motivation. Just get through the day. More so Candace than me. I'll just be honest, because that's where she excels in taking care of those kids each morning. But we're in survival mode right now. Maybe some of you, you know, your, your motivation is, is a service project or a service organization that you're involved in and getting out and doing some good in the community. Now, maybe you're at a high-stress time in your work right now, and your motivation is you've got to put in extra hours, hour or two each night, coming home late, getting up early, doing, doing what it takes to get the job done. That's what motivates you. You know, maybe right now your, your, your present motive is, is something outside of Scripture, and something outside of a foundation in God's Word, and a foundation in a relationship with Christ. And maybe your motivation is purely, purely fleshly and purely worldly and purely something that, that you want for yourself and not for the good of those around you, or even better, for the good of the kingdom. So I don't know what your personal motives are, but, but Jesus is trying to motivate his followers. In verse 34, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Jeff unpacked that last week when he talked about how we can give up comfort, that we deny the things that we want, give up the idol of comfort and follow after Jesus. And then the second part of that phrase, and take up his cross and follow me. So I don't know what your cross is this morning, but, but my hope and my prayer for each one of us is that, that we would be motivated by what it is that God has called us to do. That that would, that would motivate us and drive us to do more to that end. And that's leveraging our, our, our position on, on campus for some of you that are going to be on a new college campus this year. Or you're already on a college campus or you're, you're in a neighborhood and you've got friends that you've connected with on, on either side of your house and you're building relationship with them. Or you've got, you're one of those that I mentioned earlier that's got some people in your life who don't know Christ as their Savior, that you would be praying for them, that you would take up that cross daily and that you would follow Jesus. And wherever He leads you, that you would be willing to follow after Him. And then the second question, shifting from the present to the future. What are your future aims? Again, very different for people in the room that are in different life stages. Things that I'm looking to in the future are different than those in the room that are already retired and what they're looking to in their future. 
those that are nearing retirement and what they're looking to in the immediate short and long-term future, some that just started full-time work just out of college or just out of high school heading into college as you're making those transitions in life. Some are newlyweds in the room. Some are young parents. Some are parents of teenagers, and you're, you're, you're rushing for the end of school as well, and you've got these, these future aims and these desires of what you want to do, but, but maybe we need to shift and think about what it is that God wants us to do. And listen to what Jesus tells his followers to do. Whoever would save, this is in verse 35, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. I wonder if one, some, all of us right now are, are trying to save our life now. That our future aim is about tomorrow or the next day, or the next day, the immediate future. And we're, we're forgetting what's in store for us in the long-term future and what God's Word has lined out for us. Jeff preached a series back in the fall on, on the topic of heaven. Great, and if you're new to our church, just come back in the last few weeks or a few months and you missed that series, go on our website and check it out. It's a great series that paints a picture of what the future is like and what eternity will be like. All the way down to the new heaven and the new earth and everything that, that Scripture talks about that. And it just says we have this future aim that we would give up our lives, that we would trade what we want, that we would trade what we desire, that we would trade what the world tells us we need or we have to have or we have to be in the way of wealth and success, that we would trade that for what God's Word tells us to do. And then the next question, where are your eternal values? As you think about eternity, not in this world, but in eternity, what, what, what do you value in relation to eternity? In verse 36, Jesus says, What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? So I just wonder this morning if, if any of us might be, be valuing something in this world and we're trading something in eternity. For that thing, that, that, that instant pleasure, that gratification today and putting off what, what God has in store for us in the future and what he's laid before us. Are we willing, are we being willing right now? Are we being, living our lives in a way that we, we're giving up what God has in store for us in the future because of what we want now? That we're trying to gain the world, to gain that worldly definition of success and be wealthy by the world standards and whatever that might look like in our own context. And that we, would, that we would give that up for what God has in store for us in the eternal context. And the last question, what, what is your ultimate goal? I mean, it gets all the way down to it. What, what is your ultimate goal? You know, there, there are three things that we can do at the beginning of a year, the beginning of a school year, the beginning of a new season at work where we set goals. And those are good things to do gives you markers to achieve and you have some, some ideas of some things that you want to see happen in your life, in your ministry. For us in this church, as a church staff, we talk about goals and things we want to see happen. You individually may have some that you want to achieve related to your spiritual walk, related to your health, related to your finances. You may have some on a team at work. Goal, there's, not, there's not anything wrong with setting goals and taking steps to achieve those goals and evaluating if you achieve them, what helped us do that? If you didn't achieve them, what kept us from doing that? Uh, so that the next time you set a different goal and you work it a different way and, and, and achieve that goal. But what is your ultimate goal? And typically it comes down to, to, to two choices. Our own glory or God's glory. That when it really boils down to it, we, we sit back and, and you can talk about the specifics and you can, 
you, you can explain, well, I'm motivated by this and my goals are this. And it really just comes down to, and you can listen to a person for a little while and, and you can find out that's really clear to see. Their goal, their goal is, is, is man's way or, or their goal is God's way. And Jesus talks about this. He says he's, he's not going to be ashamed. He's going to be ashamed. Verse 38, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Yeah, I think that our goal, our ultimate goal, ought to be God's glory. That everything we do, no matter how big or small, every choice we make, every, every question we answer, every interaction we have, we ought to ask ourselves two questions. Does this bring glory to God? Yes or no? It's a pretty easy question, but then how does this bring glory to God? And sometimes that's a little more difficult question to answer. How can I glorify God in my workplace? How can I glorify God in my, in my family, in my relationships? How can I glorify God with these friends that don't want anything to do with God? How can I just, basic question, how can I glorify God with my life? And so as you live and work and interact with those around you, live your life in a way that, that your ultimate goal is God's glory. And that in the midst of every situation, easy, difficult, resulting in consequences from sin, resulting in consequences from something someone else has done to you, good things, bad things, no matter what the situation might be, that your goal would be God's glory. And then Philippians chapter 3 starting in verse 7 and going through verse 11. Apostle Paul, writing to the, the, the church at Philippi, starting in verse 7, he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So after you answer those four questions about the gospel reality, how, how do you live in that good life? How do you live the good life in the gospel reality? Just three qu quick truths to close. First, trust Christ alone as your righteousness. Be justified because of what Christ did for you on the cross. Experience justification. Be made right with God. Experience God's righteousness through the person of Jesus Christ. Look out across this room and, and see people who've done that in the nine plus years that I've worked here at the church and been baptized. Some of you can think back to and talk back on a time in your life when you trusted Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've never done that. And so living the good life, experiencing gospel reality is not possible for you right now because you haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior. So maybe today, that, when it come time to comes time to respond, that'll be the question I'll ask of you is, are you ready to do that today? Would you be willing to do that? We'd love to talk with you about that. But trust Christ alone as your righteousness. And many of you, you can look back on a day and a time and a place when that happened. But are you doing that each day? Are you continually trusting Christ and trusting in the righteousness that God has provided you through His Son? The second one, know Christ more and become more like Him. In verse 10, 
Paul says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him, even in his death, that you and I would become more like Christ, that we would know Christ more. This process called sanctification, where you and I are made more and more like Christ each day as we get to know him. Some of you in the all-in challenge are doing that as you spend time in God's word each day, as you spend time in prayer. I would challenge you uh, with the deepest conviction that if that's not where you are in your life right now, that you would do that, that you'd make a commitment to spend time in God's word and then live out the things that you read and that you learn from the character of God and, and the person of Jesus, and that you'd become more like him. And then the last one, anticipate your resurrection. Tying back to that last verse in, in Mark, that we would experience God's glory in the fullness, that we would anticipate and we would long for that. That we would not long for the day when the account balance hits a million dollars or 2.3 or we reach the top of the company or we reach the, the pinnacle of our career or we reach the championship if it's you know if sports is your thing or whatever it might be. That, that we would enjoy those things and that we would leverage those things for the kingdom but that we would anticipate the glory that God has set before us and that we would deeply desire that for every person around us. And that we would live our lives in such a way that people would want that and desire that. See, you can achieve the so-called American dream. It's possible. It's possible to achieve it. It's possible to, to live debt-free, to give abundantly, to have what you need. It's possible even to have a few things that you want. It's possible to even have some really nice things that you want. Those are all things that are attainable. But... I think that those in this room who've come to know Christ as their Savior and come to know this to be true, that it's not possible to have true freedom outside of the gospel reality. If you don't have proper perspective of those questions, present motives, future aims, eternal values, the ultimate goal, if you've never trusted Christ alone for your righteousness, if you don't know Christ and you're not making Him known and growing in that, if you're not living in the gospel reality, it's not possible to have freedom. And we've wasted everything we've done. Paul called it rubbish, the things of this world. Uh, the prayer challenge in the, the worship guide today is to pray that we would exchange the junk of this world. I think I even put some stuff in the letter about how much money we spend every year on some junk food and things like that. That we would trade that uh, for the goodness, the joy that comes in knowing Christ and making Him known. We would trade the junk of this world for the joy of the good life. That we would live in the gospel reality. That we would trade that uh, for the American dream.